Uh, a board bin is not a good bin. This is a, use this as a confession time. I, uh, I'm not someone that does well idle. I know there's a whole phrase to that, you know, idle hands, that whole phrase. But I, I, uh, I know that tendency in me, and I think for, for a long time, I really, I kind of overscheduled myself. Uh, running from thing to thing. I mean, I was FOMO before we even used that little acronym FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. I kind of lived that way, especially high school seemed to accelerate that, where I'm always was doing thing to thing to thing, and uh, just so many activities. And it actually started to affect my health, and I started getting migraines. If you've never had one of those, that's not fun. And for me, when I would get a migraine, because I'm running too fast, and not enough sleep, all of that stuff, not eating well, that migraine would shut me down for half a day because the only fix for me was like just to go to sleep uh, and try to get aspirin down before I throw up. And I know that's, you're like, great. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Glad you came today. Uh, just being honest, uh, I, I've over, kind of been an overachiever, over overachiever. And I found out later I'm kind of a high driver, a type A personality, and so it's even worse for the folks that are wired that way. We feel like we got to fill the calendar as almost as if that's our identity. But I found that as I matured in my life, I realized I would, I would just put stuff on the calendar just to, to, to show that I'm busy because then I have worth, I have value. And um, sometimes I would be busy about stuff that really didn't accomplish anything. It was like I was using my time and resources for stuff that was like, mediocre return. It really didn't, didn't matter. And, um, and I've had to wrestle with God on that. Uh, and I realize that downtime is a good thing. I understand that. Sabbath is a good, good thing. But I feel like I probably went through many years where uh, I just had something on the calendar just to somehow make, make me feel important, even though it wasn't accomplishing, uh, certainly wasn't helping people, and it wasn't necessarily helping my spiritual life, all of that. And I feel like this is this is true for many of us, even if you're not a high driver or a type A person. There's something about our culture that has elevated busyness. Like, you're not, you know, pulling your weight if that to-do list isn't pretty long. Some of you are wired like me, type A. You, got, you want to get things done, and that's good. Getting things done is good. But sometimes we can overdo it. And, and I think our culture has, has really created workaholism as almost a virtue. You know what I mean? Where, where if you're working more, you must be really, really getting a lot done. And I think they've done research on like cubicle farms. I, I worked at a cubicle farm for a while where at the actual amount of work is getting done is not eight hours. But anyway, we pride ourselves on, on getting stuff done. And I get that. But sometimes maybe we don't accomplish the best things. Sometimes we can be busy, but maybe not busy about the good things. We're going to be kind of talking about that as we get into Matthew chapter 25 today. Because we ask the question, does time matter? Well, yeah, I think so. It does matter. Does what we do matter? And let's take it even farther, right? Does God care about how we spend our time? And does it matter to him how we're wrestling with all the things he's given to us? Again, our, our time, talents, and resources, does he care? And is he going to hold us accountable? Yeah, dun, dun, dun. That's the big question for today. You're probably like, oh, I know Matthew 25. Well, find that in your Bible. We're going to get there in just a second because we're going to be looking at that. And this is the final of the Olive Grove sessions. 
Some of your Bibles might have in the heading Olivet Discourse. I always thought that was a weird phrase. Um, and, and Andrew was saying earlier, uh, how, how much are we going to get through today? Uh, how much of the Olivet Discourse are we going to get through? All of it? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I stole your joke, Andrew. <clears throat> so, but laugh. If he says it again, laugh really hard. So we're going to be there, and I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're with us today. If you're here with us, it's awesome. If you're in line, we see you as well. Uh, we gather like this, like Christ followers all over the globe. And today our hearts are heavy for what's happening across the globe. Many of us are wondering what to do with some of what's going on in Israel and the upset peace situation there and the many people who've lost lives. And I hope that we would be driven to pray. Sometimes I feel like these things happen across the globe and we don't know what to do. Like, what am I going to do to fix that? And so today, let's pray. Let's pray for those people that are hurting Pray for people who have lost people. Pray for people that they don't even know where their loved ones are right now. I mean, it's horrible, right? Let's, let's ask God to step into that situation. Uh, it's, it's, it's a kind of situation that only God can, can do, right? So let's pause for a word of prayer. We are going to get to Scripture, but let's pray together. Father, we come before you. Our hearts are heavy for what's happening in the Middle East. And Lord, we don't get it all. We don't understand it all. It's complex. But Lord, we care for people just like you care for people. We, we don't want to see people hurting and, and abused and killed, uh, Lord. So we ask your, your presence to step into those situations. And Lord, if there's something that each of us can do um, beyond prayer, I just pray that you'd let us know that. But in the meantime, we're asking for you to step in. Do what only you can do, Father. We're thankful that we get to serve your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that even today as we read your word, uh, you'd convict us and challenge us. And once again, encourage us to be your hands and feet in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I know this is a longer passage, but if you're able, would you stand with me as we read God's word? This is Matthew 25. I'm just going to read it all down. It's, it felt weird to chop it up into sections. It's going to take about five minutes. Let's read God's word. Three parables you might be familiar with. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are, are going out. But the wise answered, saying, well, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the, the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came and also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey. And he called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So, so also he who had two talents made two more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, 
the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents, and here I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seeds. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have really received what was my own with interest. So, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another as a sheep separates or as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the, the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Uh, then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whoa. That is some teaching. <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't want to break it up. Because I feel like they're all kind of related. Um, so Jesus, in context, had just answered two questions for his disciples. Do you remember those two questions from Matthew chapter, chapter 24? They're looking at the temple. They're impressed. And they're like, oh, these stones are great. And Jesus said, well, not long. These stones, one won't be on top of another. So Jesus is telling them this about the, the, the city and the temple. And, and they kind of like, okay, well, when will this happen, right? When will these things happen? That was the first question. And then they ask a follow-up question, and when will the coming of the, the Son of Man be the, the end of the age? 
So we asked them two questions, or they asked him two questions, and Jesus actually answers the questions, which, if you know the teachings of Jesus, he didn't often do that. But in this case, he said, well, to the first one, within a generation. And we know from history that really did happen. Within a generation, the Roman army took care of the whole city, wiped it out, and the temple, and uh, gone for good. And then to the second question, uh, as far as the coming of the Son of Man, the end of the age, Jesus says, no one knows but Papa. No one knows but the Father. And so we have this telescoping in and out and in and out, very, very normal for apocalyptic sort of literature and writing. And so he, he then starts teaching about, well, since you don't know when the end is going to come, how should we operate? How should we handle things? And he talks about being alert and awake, being about good work. Um, yeah, living, living in light of that anticipation, but not knowing when it's going to happen and how we are supposed to live now. And so we get to these parables to give us a few more insights into it. And the first one, we have this parable of uh, basically the bridesmaids. Depending on your English version, it might say the ten, ten virgins or the five foolish virgins. Or, there are a bunch of different headings that English editors would put on top of this, but essentially you've got the, the, you know, the, the ladies there supporting the bride, basically. And... Uh, and their preparation. And some, uh, five of them, uh, took extra oil. And five of them didn't. And uh, then there was this delay. And uh, it seems like a pretty straightforward teaching, right? So the ones that had prepared for extra, they were ready for any kind of delay. Because, you know, travel was different back in the day. So they thought ahead. And, um, and they wouldn't have had enough to share with the whole group. Uh, and there were some merchants nearby, so, uh, well, they could have fixed that, but the delay was unknown. And so that's that first, that first parable. And, um, and some people might feel like, well, those first five gals were not very nice. They didn't, they didn't, you know, share their oil, but again, they were just being practical. Like, our job is to kind of light up the world here with our wedding party and if we run out of oil we're all sunk because we didn't do what we're supposed to do we didn't accomplish what a good bridesmaid's supposed to do and so they're just being practical and and of course the, the 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 master of the ceremony comes back and the ones who had prepared uh, and they were responsible they had enough oil and the party went on but you see the doors shut and then that messianic banquet uh, they get to go to and whenever you hear wedding feast, banquet for a first century Jew, that would have immediately signaled they're talking about the Messianic age. So any of his listeners that were familiar with the teachings of their rabbis, they'd gone to synagogue every Saturday, they would have been familiar with this kind of language. This wedding feast and the banquet and, and being prepared and being ready. And of course we've got to have lots of oil because we don't know when, when it's going to happen. Pretty straightforward. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that particular parable. I want to spend time on the second two. That first one with the master that has a lot of property. And he gives some to what I would say three, or three investors. You have uh, two of them that decided to get to work right away and one not so much. Right? So we have the three investors. That's quite interesting. Kind of a unique story. Then you have the sheep and the goats. 
And what are we going to do with that? I think for the longest time, whenever I heard that parable of the sheep and the goats, and maybe you're with me, I always got uncomfortable. Because sheep and goats, which one am I? What, what category am I going to be put in? Have I, have I done enough good work to make it into the kingdom? Now, that should automatically have a ring of, that's wrong, Ben. <clears throat> what saves us? Faith in Jesus, right? That, let's not play this game. Faith in Jesus saves us. But because we're saved, we ought to be about the good work. And so some scholars would say what we're talking about here is not necessarily entrance into the kingdom because, as you can see, the parable of the sheep and the goats, the, the kingdom prepared in advance even more for, before creation began. So this kingdom and who's going to be is already kind of God already knew, right? But when we're doing, meeting the needs of the least of these, there's this thing called reward and storing up treasures in heaven. That's the space we're in. But it shows a responsibility. Each of these stories shows a responsibility. With the sheep and the goats, even so, we, uh, we look around, and if we see the least of these, we have a responsibility. It's like once you read it, now you're responsible, right? So now we wrestle with how do we handle the least of these, right? We're dealing with that right now in our city. How do we handle this? What do we do? If not this, then what, right? We have to, we have to deal with this question. So it's relevant to us right now. All of these, we went back in time to read that, the, the text, but it's relevant now, right? All three of those. So let's talk through that first one. So talents, your English version might say the parable of the talents, and that's fine, but for, for us, talents, what does that mean? Like, can you sing, can you dance, you know, I, I don't know. That's what we think of, uh, of talents, but the word then, which is a little bit hard to translate in English, really had to do with a, a unit of measure. So a talent was, some scholars think, about 75 pounds. Now some English versions actually say that the wealthy landowner gave them five bags of gold. Okay, if it's, like, if each bag, that's a crazy amount of money is the point. It's a crazy amount of money. Like, I've heard some scholars say that just to, to get one talent would have take, taken the average worker 20 years. So, I mean, so the point is, I mean, we can, we can nerd out too much on this. The point is it's a lot of money. You had a lot of money, um, bags of gold, it's just crazy. You carry around bags of gold, how does that even work? Uh, you'd be a target probably. But it's a crazy amount of money. And, and think about, just put yourself in the shoes of these investors. So we have this wealthy person, right? We, we could read this as God, all right, if we're going to push this thing. And he's given some. And, and here, here's the first thing I think you notice. First, it's a lot of, a lot of money. And then he doesn't really give them any parameters. He doesn't tell them, okay, well, what you want to do is like you roll the dice on the Apple stock. It's 1984. We roll the dice on that one. Like invest in camels, you know. I don't know. What would you invest in the first century? Iron? I don't know. I don't know what they would invest in. Was there a stock market in Rome? I don't think so. Anyway, I digress. But he doesn't give them, my point is, he doesn't give them instructions. Just... Here's a crazy amount of money. He doesn't give him any parameters. Like, you better get double this. Does he ever say that? So it's not about what they, they gain back, right? That wasn't the, the issue here. 
tons of money, and how did he determine who gets the mounts? How, 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 did you catch it in the text? Isn't it amazing when you read the scriptures out loud, stuff just sticks out? I don't know why that is. Sometimes in our devotional times, I know you're probably not in your home reading out loud because people are like, what are you doing, weirdo? But sometimes when you read it out loud, stuff pops out. Did you notice what was the determining factor on the amounts? This guy must have known the, guy, the, the people because he said, I'm giving this to you according to your ability. So they had a relationship with him. That's interesting. And again, no parameters, no instructions on how you're supposed to do this. Uh, and just and, and what I find, like right away, two of them get to get busy. Right, what does the text say? Uh, right, right away, they went out and, and at least first guy, second guy, they're, they're, they're putting it together. Like, hey, he's, he's done, we're honored. You know, our master, he... He's given us this. What do you think you can do, man? Well, I think I can get some more. I mean, you can see this kind of, kind of fun camaraderie going on. And then, uh, and then you got the last guy. And, and we don't really get the detail on the last guy until after a long delay. Does that tell us anything? Right? We're telescoping out now. After a long delay, the master comes back to do the accounting. And, um, and he comes back, and the first two, hey, man, we, 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 gained, we doubled what you gave us. And he says basically the same thing to both of them, like, hey, awesome, you guys. It's like, I knew you had it in you. You, know, you get this sense of, I was rooting for you. I didn't even tell you how much you had to bring back. I just wanted to see what you did with it, and you, and you invested it. Man, you, you put your time into something valuable, and I appreciate that. And then what does he say to both of them? Enter into your master's joy. In fact, it looks like they get to keep it too. He didn't even take it back. It wasn't about the money. And it was a crazy amount of money. And they have this relationship that's now new because they were faithful. All right, let's talk about the elephant in the room, third guy. So this guy, how does he handle the, the accounting bit? Because the relationship that the first two have seems different than the last guy. The last guy, I mean, fear is involved. He's kind of accusing the master of, you're a hard man, you know, and you're, you know, his perception and his relationship isn't right. Probably from the very beginning wasn't right. He didn't, maybe he doesn't trust this master. Hey, how, can, how come I didn't get the five? I way more deserve that promotion than that person. You see what's going on here. There's, there's a betrayal of relationship. And he goes on the offensive and starts accusing the generous master who's been known to give out bags of gold. Remember, even one talent was what? 20 years wages. Do that in modern, what's the average wage? What, what, what did the average Dallas person make? Is it 45, 50 grand, something like that? I, I don't even know. With inflation, I know it's different. Don't push me on that. But take that times 20. Even the guy with one, that's a good little chunk of change, right? And so you get this relationship breakdown, and he buries it for a long time. That's a delay. Again, 
Jesus is telescoping out, and we've got a long time where we can put this stuff into action. And he's allowed us as his investors, right, if we play this out, we all have different abilities, and Jesus knows this. He knows that some of us can handle more. I think he knows that I can handle less, so he's given me less, and I'm okay with that. But he's given all of us different abilities, different resources. And, the, and he's not going to, when he comes back, he's not going to be like, well, you could have done better, you know. He's just going to be happy that we put it to work. We got something done. He would have been happy if the guy with, what's 20 times 50? If he would at least give it to a banker. Now, there weren't banks the same way in the first century, but there were people that did, like, loans and stuff like that, kind of individual. Even, even that would have been fine. I mean, he wasn't judging them on how much they got back. He just wanted to see them to be faithful what, what he's blessed them with. And he's willing to give and be generous. And this guy wouldn't have it. And he judges the master for being harsh and not... And that doesn't even look at all like the master we just saw with the first two people. You see the difference? Very big difference. All the resources, all has been given. And some choose to be lazy and not do anything with it. And all he's asking for us is to be faithful. So this, should, this is a wake-up call for us. I know that it's not easy to talk through, but you have been given gifts that I don't have. And I've been given gifts that you don't have. And we're going to be held accountable. For, now, again, well, we'll get that, to that in the next parable. But a lot of money, a lot of talents, a lot of abilities. And, uh, and our relationship with the master it matters. And how we see him as a generous provider that we can be a blessing and have that master's joy. Good and faithful, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. I hope you want to hear that too. It doesn't mean we're not going to do this perfectly. Look, perfection, that's heaven and new earth. That's, that's not now. We just do our best, right? And that's all he's asking us to do. And then we get to this sheep and goats thing. And apparently in the first century, there was a thing that they would, they would like shepherds would separate sheep and goats because apparently goats couldn't be outside, but sheep could handle inside. I don't really... Having grown up a little bit around sheep, I, I, I scratched my head. I did, we didn't really have that many goats, although I would own one of those goats, the fainting goat, because that's funny every time. You know what I'm talking about, the fainting goat? Don't buy me one, because I don't know what to do, where I'd put that. But the sheep and the goats, that used to be, I guess, a thing that a shepherd would do that because the sheep needed something different than the goats needed. But here we have the Son of Man coming with all the angels. What does that sound like? sitting on his glorious throne. I mean, doesn't it sound like Revelation talk? I mean, this is the end of the age. He comes back, and there's a reckoning, much like the rich landowner comes back to do some accounting. And here is more clarity from Matthew on exactly how we invest. He's going to make it pretty obvious. So we get to the sheep and the goats, and we have... A difference. And what's the difference? Whatever you did for the least of these, you did as if you're doing it to me, the Lord said. And it, it wasn't like the sheep and the goats were, you know, these are church people and these are not church people. or These are religious people and these are pagan people. It's actually all the children of God who were to be about loving the least. That's who he's addressing. 
And the difference between the groups was what you did for the least of these. Even the ones you didn't know, I was with you, right? So those moments when the sheep would give a glass of water, they were staring into the eyes of a thirsty person, and that's Jesus. So the interesting thing, right, we learn about the master, that he's this generous master, um, and, and he entrusts us with blessings and opportunities, but he's also a master and a king who can be found in the least of these. Who is this master? Who is this king? Who is this son of man that is both in those we serve and the great giver of all things? Who is he? Yeah, the sheep and the goats is, is really sort of a, a display of those who love God. One, one scholar said it this way, that the real evidence of our, our belief is the way we act. To treat all persons we encounter as if they are Jesus is not easy. What we do for others demonstrates what we really think about Jesus' words to us. Feed the hungry, give the homeless a place to stay, look after the sick. And how well do our actions reveal which group we're in? Are we the pretenders? Or are we the real deal? Do we meet needs? Even when no one is looking. Right? These are big words to us. The first parable, yes, be ready. Take responsibility. Actually, I think that first parable is interesting because five of them wanted to, to, to borrow some oil from those who prepared. Right? That was the first parable. And uh, they said, no, you need to go take responsibility and get some oil yourselves. And uh, there was one scholar that pointed something out that I'd never seen before. That we can't ride on someone else's oil in the kingdom. That's their oil. They prepared. They were responsible. So there are no grandchildren in the kingdom. There are only children. We don't ride in on mom and dad's faith. They can help us, but it comes down to personal responsibility, right? We can't jump into the kingdom on the coattails of someone else's faith. No, we, we take responsibility. I'd never seen that before, that they were trying to take the oil from someone else's faith. That they had been prepared. They were ready for the delay. Delays happened in the first century. And then we, we think about the, the three investors, and i got to ask, which one are you? Which one are you? Which investor are you? Maybe you're someone who's been given a lot. Great. How well are you handling that? I got an email this morning from uh, a, a family. They are, they are very generous because they've been given much, and they do great things, and they know that one of their spiritual gifts is being able to make a lot of money, and they offered quite a bit for our little building campaign thing, and God laid it on their heart. That's a gift that they have. It's not a gift necessarily that all of us have, not all of us can do the speaking thing or place stuff. We don't all have stage things, but we've all been given something. So which investor are you? And are you going to be just burying everything that you've got just in the sand? Ugh. Hmm. And it's, it's sad sometimes when you see such great potential that just sits dormant. Like so much could be done for the kingdom. 
I don't want to be that third investor. I want to be the first two. Where with whatever God's given me, I'm going to do my little part to, to invest. Because it's about faithfulness, not about the dollar amount, right? It's not about you know, what exactly you gain back. It was being faithful. Are you faithful? Are you investing your life in kingdom work right now? Sheep and the goats, which one are you? If you were to take a little spiritual assessment right now, would you say you're in the goat category or you're in the sheep category? And the good news is we have time to fix that. We have time to work on that. Which one are you? Who are the least of these that we need to help? I hope we never stop asking that question because Jesus, it's his words, not mine. I don't know how to fix all those problems, right? Sometimes I don't know. I don't know what one person can do. I don't know what I can do. But we got to keep asking the question, what do we do? If not this, what, then what, right? We, we need to, when those needs are in front of us, we have a choice to make. And we may not, may not be able to fix everything, but maybe we can fix one thing. Maybe we can help one neighbor. I think Jesus talked about that quite a bit. Love your neighbor as yourself. That might just be one person. Maybe you do for one what you wish you could do for many. That'd be great. Or, or maybe we get better at asking the question, what does love require of me? Right? These are good questions. And we got, we got to stop, uh, uh, I think not stop, but we need to never stop wrestling with the tension of how to love the least of these. Jesus said it. The posture of Christ followers, if we were to take all of the Olive Grove sessions, we're watching, we're alert, you know, we're prepared, we're taking responsibility, right? Because the delay, the, the delay might be longer. And, and we're, we're doing the kingdom work. And, and how do we invest? By loving the least of these. How do we invest? By loving the least of these. Be alert. And realizing when we do love the least of these, we might be staring in the face of Jesus. That's a crazy thought. Whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. So imagine the next need you can meet is Jesus on the other side of those eyes going, well done, good and faithful servant. That's how you invest. I think that's why Matthew put these stories right next to each other. That's how you invest. So just one thing for all of us. This is the way of the Jesus economy. This is the way that we invest is by loving the least of these. In whatever form or shape God puts in front of you, be aware, eyes wide open, ears to hear, heart that's soft enough to see a need and meet that need. You can't meet everybody's need, but we can meet a few. We can do for one what we wish we could do for many. So there's only one point, and it's for all of us. May you and I live a life that's invested. Invest your life Make that commitment today. Invest your life. If you haven't done a great job up to this point, make this point today, that today I'm going to invest my life for kingdom reward. Jesus said you're going to store up treasures in heaven where, where nothing can bother them. When you're doing these good things for the least of these. And the, the nice thing about it, the side effect of doing something for the least of these, it feels pretty good. Even if no one else sees it. We're, we're putting treasure in heaven where moth or rust can't destroy. Invest your life for kingdom reward because I think we all want to go into that master's joy. Enter into the master's joy. Good, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? We want that bit. 
And, and you know, servants, when, we're, when we handle our responsibility, we get blessed with more responsibility because he sees we're being faithful with it. And, and I love how this relationship changed from his servants to enter into your master's joy by how they invested. And it reminds me of John 15 when Jesus stares at his disciples and he says, you know what, guys? I no longer call you my servants or slaves because servants don't even know what the master's up to, but you do now know what the master's up to and you can do what I do. So I'm going to call you friends. And he wants to call each of us friends in this room because we're about his kingdom work. We know enough to love the least of these. That's what he's calling us to do. We can enter into that master's joy. Listen to what one scholar said, and I want to wrap it up. The least of these, ministry plan. Here it is. Was to feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, shelter to the stranger, clothing to the naked, care, care of the sick, and, and prison visits. And the reason the sheep are ushered into the kingdom is that they, they gave to those who had need. This list describes every act of mercy people can do every day. Well, they're not exhaustive, but they show lots of acts that you can do every day. And they don't depend on wealth, ability, or intelligence. They're just simple acts freely given and freely received. Jesus demands our personal involvement in caring for others. Whoever God puts in your, in your path. And the list is, is not exhaustive, but it represents all types of good deeds. This parable, hear this clearly, this parable is not about how you get to heaven by doing good deeds. The text already said, this is a kingdom prepared in advance before anything happened. This is about evidence of salvation by what we do. We are saved by faith through Jesus. That's a free gift. But because of that, we love the least of these. Imagine all of us in this room investing in kingdom work. If we took it seriously, no matter how much time we have left, that we're going to Whatever need we see, we're going to try to meet and assess that. Imagine us asking the question over and over again, what does love require? And can I do something for one that I wish I could do for many? Let me close with this. Vincent DePaul, he, you're probably familiar with that. He's part of the founder of the, the secondhand stores and uh, you know, loving the least of these. And he, he wrote this, We must love God, but let it be in the work of our bodies, in the sweat of our brows, for very often, many acts of love for God, of kindness and goodwill and other interior practices like a tender heart, they're good, but they're suspect when they don't lead us to actual hands-on practice of effective love. Would you pray with me? Lord, you have shown us what love looks like. Help us through the acts of forgiveness and reconciliation love one another so that our neighbors we'll know that we are your disciples and, and know that to be good news. Help us invest our lives in your kingdom work. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.